0: Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze.
1: Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've got a really cool guest. And I guess three times the charm, because we've tried to record this one twice already, but it, it just means we're gonna have even better content the third time around, right? Today, I've got with me mr rob decker and as you know this show is about answering unresolved issues and in his story i think you'll find a whole lot of unresolved issues and i think you'll find uh how god stepped in and met him so rob welcome to the show
0: thank you for i'm glad that we're doing this uh i'm glad that i've had an opportunity to get to know you guys you guys are wonderful
1: well i'm i'm glad to uh have, have you on board Can you tell us kind of how you came to be here and a little bit about your background and so on and so forth?
0: It always starts with my mom. You know, my mom, she is the great incubator of me. And uh, she she had me at a very young age. She was actually uh, instructed or, you know, asked to abort me as a child. Uh, My mom came from a really tough upbringing herself. She was the oldest of five. She was raped and beaten and neglected and kicked out on the street and put in foster homes. And, you know, so a lot of me started with my mom. When I was born, over the next few months, my mom met a man that would eventually be called my dad. And they had a kid together, had my sister. And through growing up, there was a lot of favoritism, a lot of violence, a lot of arguing, domestic disputes, drinking, drugs, smoking. There was a lot of dysfunction in the home. And I'm sure that, you know, that's common in a lot of homes, a lot of dysfunction. No one's perfect. No family's perfect. But, you know, my mom and dad, they didn't really see eye to eye when it came to parenting or anything of the sorts. I wasn't really raised in a, a religious household. I know that my mom was part of the Catholic faith, but she never really preached it to us. She never really... Put God or Jesus on us on for anything. Uh, I don't think my dad was religious at all, so uh, that's not something that was ever taught to us. I do remember my first experience of having a God moment is when I came home from school in kindergarten, and I and uh, it was a day that I found out that my dad wasn't my biological father, and came home with a certification that had his last name on it and uh, his mom or my grandmother. Wasn't fond of that. Um, I wasn't one of them. So she had my father remove my last name and then I was given my, my mother's maiden name, which was perfectly fine with me. It's just another way for my mom and I to connect and we have a pretty deep connection, especially now, now that I have the Lord. When I found all that information out that, that he wasn't my real father, that my sister wasn't my full blooded sister, you know, I remember walking out of the house that day and I remember. Something telling me that everything was going to be okay because God was my father.
1: Did you have any kind of context or any kind of framework in which to go to process that statement?
0: No, you know, in all honesty, I do recall the statement, but I don't ever recall being brought up in any type of faith or religion. Certain things stick with you throughout your life. And that was just one of those things that had stuck with me. But we didn't really have any schooling on any of that stuff. It's not; It just wasn't preached in our home.
1: So what happened after this incident? Well,
0: you know, you're talking about years of stuff in the making. So, you know, over the years, you know, my parents grew further apart. Relationship between my sister and I was a lot more dysfunctional because of who my mom was and who her dad was. And, you know, the favoritism and and then all the stuff that we witnessed within the, the house. And eventually my sister and I started drifting off and finding our group of friends that were, you know, and I'm not going to say all my friends were bad because they weren't like there were some pretty some of these guys were pretty awesome. But, you know, you start following the trouble. You start drinking and doing drugs. And and so when I was in high school, you know, there was a lot of that going on. I remember going to class drunk. Me and my buddy were drinking some orange juice and vodka in class. And, you know, then we'd go, you know, during our breaks to go smoke marijuana. And then eventually that stuff led into Doing acid and shrooms and eventually cocaine, as everything drifted in the household, the conflict between my my dad and I and him not being my real father and him being so strict with me and him not treating me as fair as he treated my sister, like all that stuff really started to compound on top of each other. And then my mom, you know, she didn't really want me around because she saw the relationship between my dad and I, and 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 she just didn't want that for me. So a lot of the times she just didn't want me home. Um, you know, as a young guy, you don't understand those things, but as an adult, I understood that she was just trying to protect me any way she could. And being in the house, being in the house wasn't the best thing for me. You know, and in school, like I was, I didn't care about my grades. My, my family didn't care about my grades. You know, um, my sister dropped out of middle school, you know, and, and so I eventually dropped out of high school. I made it through most of it, but I didn't pay attention. I didn't do well. I was getting caught up in the drugs, the alcohol, the trouble. I ended up serving some time in a juvenile center a couple times in in high school and, you know, constantly was getting in fights and having shotguns pulled out on me. And it was outrageous, you know, and, and it just got worse over time. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet some people when I met the uh, went to high school uh, that really took to me. Uh, My best friend and his family, they loved me. They cared for me. They tried to invite me in their home and keep me there. They tried to adopt me. But it was not something that my parents were going to allow to happen, even though they were dysfunctional and they were drinking and using drugs. And, you know, they just didn't want to part with me, I suppose. And things just started to, to get worse in my 20s.
1: During your high school experience and, you know, during the partying and you said that you really weren't wanted at home. So was your seeking of drugs and the partying and the fights, was that maybe to overcome? I mean, because that had to have brought a sense of rejection, I would think, that maybe you weren't wanted. Well, yeah,
0: naturally. You know, I, I felt like I was black sheeped at an early age, so. The drugs and the alcohol—it all started in good, innocent fun, right? I mean, as it does. But you know, I—I—I I, I started to use it to medicate, you know. And and it is—I didn't have value for myself. I had no self-worth for myself. I—I I, I didn't have true confidence. I was—I uh, was fortunate enough to look a certain way, like I had a certain look that was pleasing, so I was able to get away with that for a while. And I used that as a false sense of confidence, of like. I'm the man and, you know, I get a lot of attention. Plus, like I developed a sense of humor. And so I was able to use the sense of humor and the looks to kind of uh, mask a lot of things to the public. But, you know, I had the inner stuff, the, the deep stuff that no one could address, uh, the things that I wasn't sharing with people. Uh, so what I was doing is I was ingesting the drugs and the alcohol in order to deal with these things. But, you know, bearing all that stuff, just put it deeper inside, made it grow bigger it was just medicating. I wasn't fixing anything, and then I was creating an addiction on top of it, right? Like now, it's just like my I I crave this stuff. I was looking forward to doing this stuff. My my day wasn't the same unless I was ingesting something. So yes,
1: you okay? So in your 20s, you get out of high school, or you drop out of high school. So what, I mean, at this point, how, are you still considering God or do you have any other thoughts around him or are you just trying to focusing on, I'm going to kill this pain because I don't want to deal with what's going on in me?
0: Yeah. You know, I I think that I always had a perception of God and and it's weird to me because I, I, I knew that God existed. Something said that God existed. And for some reason, Jesus was connected to all that. And I understood that he was there. I was living my life. Um, he loved me for who, who I was. And, you know, I didn't really go out of my way to have a relationship with him. But then again, I, I didn't have anyone coming to me and be like, hey, this is the way. And even if they did at that time, I don't think I would have listened anyway because I was just rebellious and wanting to do my own thing. And I didn't really seek God at all. I mean, it was much later in my 20s where um, God became relevant in my life. And it was way later. You know it was almost I was almost thirty years old when when he did. And I had a buddy who was a co-worker who kept trying to press this God thing into me and and I kept kind of dismissing it. Like I knew what he was saying was probably true, but at the same time, I wasn't ready and willing to give up my lifestyle. i I didn't want to become a Christian and lead a boring life and have no excitement and then have all my friends that are part of a certain environment like reject me. You know, I, was, I didn't want any of that stuff. I just wanted God to accept me for who I was.
1: And how uh, indignant is that of, I mean, if that was your impression of, well, to, to equate, if I become a Christian, then obviously my life would be boring. When, I mean, the reality is God is anything but boring. Almost condemning of the church, I guess I would say. If that was your actual viewpoint, it just shows we represented him poorly. Well, you
0: know, I don't know. Maybe I just hadn't met any sound Christians, but here's the truth. Like my truth is that he came into my life exactly when he was supposed to come to my, or I I went to him. I'm sorry. He was always there. He was always there looking after me. I know that he knew that eventually I would come to him. I I have confidence in that, but it's a timing thing. Like God knows, he knows what type of events he knows, what situation he knows how to reach you. And so I don't know if anyone really failed me. I mean, the truth is, is, I've been to church on and off for years, and the church will always fail you. I mean, it's full of people that make decisions, right? And they have their own lives. and But the gospel and Jesus never failed me. But I had to get to that place where it was just God and I all alone before he could really start working in my heart.
1: Okay, so you're kind of rejecting the gospel. You're hearing it, but you're not interested. You're doing your thing in your 20s. So uh, what happens from there?
0: So what happened was, is I really started, I was really getting into cocaine big time and I was drinking a lot. I mean, I was drinking a bottle of vodka, the big bottle of vodka at night. I mean, there was times I was doing eight balls of coke by myself at my house. You know, it, it was just becoming so destructive. And then I was selling steroids and, and human growth hormone on top of it. So I was making really good money on top of like working and stuff, but this is what I was investing in. This, this was my investment. And I remember I, went to go cash a check at the bank and the check was from drug money. And, and I met a young lady there and her and I hit it off and we started talking and we got into a a relationship my whole life. I was always in relationships. I was always seeking something, but you know, what happens is, is this relationships get more destructive and more dysfunctional, right? Because that's the kind of stimulation you need. It's kind of, it's, it's just like addiction or sin. It's like, You're you're constantly chasing, 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 and, you know, a little bit's not good enough anymore. So, I mean, I got into a relationship that was completely dysfunctional off the – and even going into it, like, she had kind of given me a backstory, and I I had – a sense that maybe she had been molested by her father. I know that she was watching porn at a really young age. So she had her stuff and she was a lot younger than I was. She was like 20 or 21. I was 28, 29. And so I already knew the kind of baggage that she had, but yet I chose to pursue this young lady. And at the time I was actually seeing somebody else. So I blew off this girl who was actually a really sweet, nice, caring, giving. She was just a good overall person for this really dysfunctional relationship because good meant nothing for me right it wasn't crazy enough it wasn't exciting enough i needed something a lot more on the edge and
1: right so you you were bored and so this lady who came in with all the baggage seemed to fit the mold of for
0: sure (laughs) interesting yeah for sure yeah yeah for sure so We started dating, but, you know, real quickly, things escalated. Things got ugly and hairy and we're drinking and all sorts of stuff. And eventually we just had to break up because it just became extremely toxic. Well, during that whole breakup is when I finally took my buddy up on his offer. Hey, man, I'll go to church with you. You know, I was finally in a place where, like, I wasn't working. I didn't have a girlfriend. You always drinking and using all the time. Other than working out, I had pretty much nothing else going on for me i was actually hopping couches and sleeping at different friends houses and stuff like that and so i took my buddy on his offer and I, I headed to a men's bible study and in that men's bible study it was a great experience you know these guys prayed over me they were very welcoming we we got into the bibles you know some of the stuff made sense in the midst of all of it like i'm over here shaking and getting hot and sweaty in an air-conditioned room it's like all these, these things are going on with me that I've never experienced before, having great peace, you know, in the midst of this group.
1: Now, were these were, were the people at this study and was the friend that actually led you to the study, were they aware of your drugs and the addictions and all the baggage that you brought in?
0: Oh, my buddy knew. My my buddy knew. He knew. I shared the stories with him. He knew, like, I, we would be working together, and I'd talk about how I'm going to go do coke and go to the club and get drunk, and, and this dude, like he was cool. He, he, he never judged me for any of it. Like he never even tried to get me to quit anything. I think more than anything, he did the right thing. And he tried to lead me to Christ and he didn't say, well, everything you're doing is wrong. I mean, truth is Christ is going to do his job. You know, it's like, it's his job to get me off all this junk. It's not my buddy's job to get me off all this junk. It was my buddy's job to, to lead me into that direction. And he did his job. He, he, he did great at it because here I am today. You know, it was a great experience, but shortly after, I find out that this young lady is now selling her body for money. She's an escort on Craigslist. Uh, When you could do that on Craigslist, I decided now, now that I had God, that I was going to walk back into her life, and I was going to preach to her, and I was going to be her savior. I'm going to tell you right now, that's not even a good idea ever. (laughs)
1: i can I can imagine that you know, yeah, no, no, that doesn't work. uh the whole trying to trying to uh rescue people out of it when you're barely figuring it out yourself probably not the best idea.
0: I over here, I just learned how to doggy paddle, and I'm over here trying to swim to Alcatraz right in choppy water, so you know we we ended up started uh we started talking to each other again, and you know she was heavily involved in what she was doing, and the agreement was as we started seeing each other, that she'd start breaking all these clients away from her. And she did. And she had this one last client who was taking her out to Hawaii for this big trip. And while she was over there, she was calling me up and and talking about how he's so abusive and he's so rude and he's neglectful, but then he's also uh, forcing himself on her. And, you know, once again, it was one of those situations where she didn't outright say certain words, but you knew exactly what she was insinuating. And then she sends a picture of herself to me on the cell phone of of a black guy, like this guy just decked her. And it was in those conversations before she came back that she was like, you know, I'm sorry for whatever has happened, and I want to make it right again. And I went back to all that stuff. And, And she came home, and she picked me up from my buddy's house. It was Memorial Day weekend. And we headed out to the liquor store, bought more alcohol, went to her house. And upstairs, we started kind of getting into this dialect of, you know, what has happened, what's to come. And it was supposed to get intimate. And and, and the truth is, is that I just didn't have it. Like I, I couldn't, you know, get over the stuff we'd already been through plus the stuff that she had just been through. Plus like now I had the God factor, the God factor definitely made a difference. It, it's so crazy because the God factor made a difference, but leading up to what I did, it almost doesn't make sense. So I go downstairs after this conversation and I just want to, Sleep it off. I just want to reboot. And there's a banging at the front door. Well, it's the police department. And they're like, open up the door, Mr. Decker. We know you're in there. And and I'm like, I'm in full blown, utter shock. And she comes downstairs and I ask her what's going on. And she looks at me and she tells me that I called the cops and I told the cops that you raped me and that you tried to kill me.
1: Uh. Okay, that's a... Rather large shift from, I want to work things out.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it, here's the thing is that as I prayed on it in the hospital, like what was revealed to me was she was rejected by me. The person that she didn't think was going to reject her, rejected her. Now, she could easily went to the authorities about this other gentleman and said, that's what really happened. But here's the thing. She had to save face. She had to save face with him in order for her, her experiences or or her job or occupation, whatever it is to be exposed because that's embarrassing for her, I guess, you know, that's, you know, she has to confront all that stuff. So she didn't want all that confronted. And, uh, it was easier to put it on me because I was there. I rejected her. Obviously I, I hurt her emotionally because of the rejection. And, and that's what came to me, uh, which eventually led into forgiveness and, and, and my healing process. but, I looked at her and I was broken and devastated and betrayed. And, you know, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah, I just received the Lord. But in that moment, I just it was over for me. You know, it was really over for me. And I always felt like I was going to die young. It was something that was pressed into me as a young man. And it carried me through. And hence the all the drugs and the alcohol and the days of I wish that I didn't wake up and that I had passed on and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I didn't understand much. But I just looked at her and I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. It's over. It's done. I'm finished. And I turned around. And I ran headfirst for a closed window, jumped headfirst out of this window. And I remember the glass breaking. And it was a three-story loft. On my way down, my foot clipped an awning, changed my fall. My ultimate goal was to break my neck and kill myself. That was, that was the goal. But in the midst of the fall, everything changed. I landed on my left arm and it, I completely shattered it, I uh, broke my right wrist because like I guess I tried to catch myself. Uh, my left lung collapsed from the impact and then my my lower back broke. It severed. It severed the vertebrae. So once I hit the ground, yeah, once I hit the ground, I was immobile. I had no, well, I could, I mean, I was feeling, I mean, I felt the most immense pain ever known to mankind, at least for me. And I could hardly breathe, right? Because I collapsed my lung. It was absolutely insane. I don't know how I didn't snap the the spinal column or the cord, but I did it. I laid there and I look up the window and I ask God, why? Why did you let me live? You know, came the police and the ambulance and getting me on the gurney and sending me to the hospital. And, you know, it it was like an eight, nine, 10 hour surgery. And I woke up the next morning and I had an external fixator, which is the All the metal bars that come out of your arm with the screws and so they can set everything to line up with each other. I had a cast on my right arm. I had a a back brace on. I had tubes coming out of my neck. I was hooked up to an oxygen machine. Here come the police. Police walk in like, Mr. Decker, you're under arrest for uh, attempted murder and rape. And then they put the handcuffs on me right there on the bed. Like, I'm already a show, right? Like, I'm like, I'm in a different... Place. I'm medicated. I'm in pain. I'm all broken up. I'm not going anywhere, right? And and here they come and slapping some charges on me. That was a pretty insane experience, you know. And uh, it didn't look like I was going to walk for sure. I remember one of the doctors or nurses mentioning that you know this guy's not walking due to the severe damage that was done. So as the day went on, I remember the cop he had to watch me. I was on 24-hour surveillance and I remember the cop, he was just giving me a hard time. Like he's reading the report, you know, he's messing with his cell phone. He's pretty upset that he has to be there to babysit me. He's giving me a hard time and talking about how, you know, I'm, you know, he's reading the report and uh it doesn't look good for me or and I'm such a bad guy and, and and I'm over here like, man, and I'm 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 breaking down. I'm breaking down. I'm starting to cry and, and I'm I'm looking at him like you know what, officer? I've made some pretty bad choices in my life, but, you know, this isn't one of them. If, if anything, you know, I cared about her and I tried my best to show that. And maybe I wasn't good at that. Nurse comes in to quiet me down and I look up and there she is. She's there with her sister. She's all disguised in her sunglasses and paperwork and uh, hairstyle.
1: Wait a minute. The same girl that accuses you of rape and murder shows up in the hospital?
0: Correct. Correct as bad as the cop was giving it to me and maybe he thought I was guilty. I don't know. Maybe I don't know, but he looks up at me and he says, is that who I think it is? And I just, you know, I agree with him and he asks, he escorts her out. And, uh, you know, he's just like, you know, for someone who'd been through all that, that just does not make sense to me. That day passed. And I, I remember laying there talking to God, not knowing what's going to happen. And I would just remember just, uh, as I was speaking to him, I, I just had this peaceful feeling come over my body and I heard these these words and keep in mind that you're in a hospital, it's well lit. There's nurses, there's doctors, there's a police officer, there's TVs, there's intercoms, there's medication machines, there's oxygen machines. The hospital is a very noisy, busy place. And you know, here I am laying and all of a sudden like things are dimming down and getting quiet and peaceful and and the pain is Virtually like removed from me for a moment, a moment's time, and I just hear this voice. I hear this still, soft but clear voice say to me, "The charges will be dropped. Your bills will be paid, and you will walk again." I I, I fall off into a sleep or a vision of me playing soccer, and uh, I woke up and uh, you know everything was chaotic again. Everything was noisy. Everything was crazy. A couple of days pass after that, and the police come up. They, they come up to the room and they're like, Mr. Decker, we're dropping all charges. They took my fingerprints. You're no longer, you're not no longer incarcerated, <laughs> uh, you know, longer under arrest. And we wish the best of luck to you. And they were pretty nice guys. Those guys were pretty nice, considering someone that I came across. What happened was, is that that small, still voice who had given me peace and and quiet and, and, and relieve my pain. Like that voice, I was just like, wow, you know, Lord, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, and, and it came to pass. Here's something crazy though. A few weeks after it was like, I was in the hospital for like six weeks, six, eight weeks or something like that. And, um, I'm at home and the police show up, uh, the same police that actually threw the cuffs on me. It was a different set of cops that, that took the cuffs off, but the same set of cops that, that, arrest me initially show up to, to my mom's house where i'd happen to be saying staying after i got released they come up there and you know they're starting to grill me about like me trying to kill her and me trying to rape her and then the other cop there was two of them they weren't playing good cop bad cop they're playing mean cop and a lot meaner cop right and uh the other cops like well we know that you weren't trying to take your life that you were just running from the police and I explained to the cop, I said, well, I don't know if you knew this, sir, but she was an escort. She was selling her body for money, like, because what they did is they presented me with information or documentation of her being physically assaulted sexually. And I explained to them, I said, hey, this is who she is, what she's done, what she came out of. And the only thing the detective could say was, wow. Wow. Maybe she didn't tell us that because she was really embarrassed, and I and I was like, man, yeah, but this is my freedom, right? You know, these are these are serious charges, and as far as the other cops concerned, it's like, yeah, man, yeah, definitely wasn't trying to run from the cops, right? Like I was definitely trying to take my like you you don't know me, you don't know what I've been through, you don't know what was going on in my head, and it, it was just kind of a weak attempt at trying to create something. I don't know. I ended up having to deal with that and. That was a little insult to injury, but it's okay. They left. I'm good. Back to the hospital. While I was in the hospital healing, I remember my mom showing up. So now that the police are gone, I can actually have visitors. And so my mom shows up, and she's bawling her eyes out. Like, my mom's just – she's – the doctors had just told her that I'm never going to walk again. And I see it in her face. Like, I know. I know what they just told her. So she comes in the room, and we have that conversation. About me not walking again and the doctor's telling her that and, and she looks at me and I know that she meant to say this with the purest of intentions and, and the best of hearts, but she was like, I just wish it had all ended for you that day. My mom wanted me to pass that day because she didn't want to see me suffer anymore. Those were her words. I don't want to see you suffer in this life anymore. And, um, and I understood that and I was okay with that. You know, I, I really felt like that was her way. Of showing love to me because I knew what she came out of and 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 the pain and the suffering that she's had her whole life and all the dysfunction. And now it's been carried on to her, her oldest kid, her son. And and I understood and I was okay with it. And uh, the nurses come in the room, two of them. They're like, Mr. Decker, we're going to try to get you up today. And I knew for a fact it just wasn't going to happen. I, I knew I was in too much pain. I, I couldn't even sit up on the bed without having just just the craziest of pain and i was on a few different type of medication i know i was on a morphine drip at the time and you know what came over me is like you know i got to do this for my mom i got to give her some hope i got to show her that i'm okay i'm here for a reason i'm confident that i'm here for a reason the small still voice said hey you will walk again i don't know how it's going down but it's got to go down and that small still voice was god and and in that whole kind of trying to pump myself up to get going I thought about Christ on the cross. I thought about him carrying the cross. I thought about the movie Passion of Christ, which gave me a visual of what he went through. I went back to remembrance of what I read in Isaiah 53 on on the beating that he took, that he was so unrecognizable that you didn't even know who he was anymore. Like so I took those thoughts and I used that thought as like those thoughts and, and, and visions as like, this is what's gonna get me out of bed if if I'm gonna get up out of bed. And and so I took all that and on the count of three, I get up and I squeal. I mean, it was a horrible, I mean, it it, it probably hurt just as much as when I hit the ground, I guess. And, um, yeah. And the nurses came over and they stuck me with medication in my tubes and they set me back down. They're like, he's out for the count. And, uh, I think a week or two later, the doctors decided to perform another surgery on me. Uh, they were able to do so. and, And when they did, I was able to drag my foot. So, after dragging my foot, like I really knew that I was going to walk again. Cause I'm like, well, the next step is walking and then running and then working out. Like my mind was already set in that direction. It's like, well, this is what's going to happen for my life. And so I started moving again. I was able to get up and, and, and move again. So, Hey, voice promise number two, you know, came to pass and I started walking and, you know, now I, I don't take medication, and I play softball and basketball. I run, I jump, I slide, I dive. I I lift weights, I deadlift, I squat, I bench. Like you would never for a second think that there was absolutely anything wrong with me. Uh, you know, I, I've been healed. I have a lot of hardware. I have lots and lots of hard, millions, uh, millions of dollars of of hardware and surgeries and hospital stays. But even with that, the state of California ended up covering all that stuff. So it all came to pass. And yeah, you know, and 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 you know, in and, in and, and that whole process, you know, I'm I'm struggling with the the pain pills now, and the drinking, and trying to medicate and feel better. And I prayed and I read, I read and I prayed, and like Lord, you're gonna have to deliver me from the alcohol. You're gonna have to deliver me from these pills. You're gonna have to get me out of certain environments. Like I, I have to completely lean on you. And I truly believe in deliverance. I believe that God can step in, and He can either immediately. Rip something out of your life and boom, it's over in a second or he'll walk you through the process so that you can learn other things so that you can grow in him and and then it's completely removed. So, you know, his processes are, are unlike any anything else. Right. There's no script for any of that kind of stuff. There's no program for that stuff for me. Uh, this is my experience. I heavily believe in his redemptive abilities and, and and deliverance and all that kind of stuff. And reality is eventually I got off all six medications that I was on. Um, I, I quit drinking like five years ago. Uh, he used a, a a situation in my life that freed me from alcohol where um, I struggled because I craved it, but I've, I have not craved it since. I don't even uh, like the idea of it when it comes to me. And so that was removed. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, I believe in it. And, and you know, I continued to read and, and pray and I would, you know, backslide a little bit. And but it was a process. It was a process. And, and in that process of backsliding and falling flat on my face and still feeling pain. And, you know, I understand his grace and I understand his teaching ways. He just knew what it was going to take.
1: I'm reminded of the uh, passage in in, in, in first or second corinthians where paul was talking about the thorn of the flesh and god and god responds my grace is sufficient for you you know i i have a, a lot of different agreements on on uh, some of the some of the stuff you were saying you know i have my own struggles with addictions you know um i was heavily addicted to gaming and i used it to medicate because everything around me was just going nuts and going crazy the, the interesting thing with me is that he didn't deal with the actual addiction right away. He dealt with the underlining issues before we even touched that.
0: Yes. So that's what it is. He knew what inside of me was leading to the medication portion of it. He wanted to work the other stuff. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that's what it was. He he wanted to strip me of confusion and. And and he wanted to pour love into my heart and into my life and understanding. A lot of times we do things because we're confused. He wanted to address my anger, and that anger came from the confusion, right? Like, And I truly, wholly believe in that. I believe that when God starts exposing those things and showing it to you and giving you an understanding, well— The addictions are nothing anymore because you're like, ah, I know why I do what I do. I know there's going to be people out there that say, well, there's a chemical connection and all this stuff. And you know what? I'm sure there is. But I'll tell you this. He is the great physician and he was able to strip those things. Unfortunately, you'll have, uh, you know, uh, individuals in our faith that, that don't believe that. They believe for whatever reason, there needs to be additional groups or, or literature that, that needs to be added on to the whole situation. Um, I'm not saying that I can pray over you right now in this moment, everything's going to be cured. I That's between you and God. You know, it, it's just tough because I know that people in, in our camp, they don't just solely lean on Christ and Christ alone. And the truth is, is that Christ dies in vain if you believe that you need to outsource your addictions and your problems and your issues. I'll probably get a little bit of heat for this, but it's the truth. Christ and Christ alone can do these things. That's what he came to do, right? He has the power that he He heals. It's what he does. And a lot of this stuff, like you were saying, it's the emotional stuff that um, led into the other stuff. So when when you can attack the emotional stuff, you know, all that other stuff starts to vacate.
1: When I was neck deep in the addiction, and I mean, I was neck deep and things were just blowing up around me. And I had an individual at the church, he was a pastor of the church that I attended, and rather than deal with the, with the underlining issues because he didn't see them, he came after me over the symptom. And it, you know, you don't need to be gaming, it's ungodly, you can't do this, it's, it, you know, yada yada yada, and that Coming after me over the symptom just drove me deeper into it because I was like, dude, you have no clue what I'm dealing with. Back off.
0: And I love that you brought that up because it's the same thing with my buddy. My buddy, instead of grilling me for doing drugs and alcohol, he was leading me to Christ. He was leading me to the answer. That's exactly what he was doing. He wasn't worried about the other stuff. At least uh, that's not what was on his heart. His heart was like, dude, I have the answer. It's not... Quitting drinking and quitting drugs isn't the answer. You know, uh, it's, it's, you're godless, you're Christless. That's, that's the, that's the true issue, right? Um, You're trying to fill yourself with things that only the Holy Ghost can fill you with, right? The only thing Christ can fill you with, right? Our father, that's, that alone is what's going to spare you from all this other stuff.
1: I know, you know, for me, it was like, you know, I I, because I because things had just gone crazy and I completely walked away from God. You know, I was just not interested. So as I hear this story, what I hear is a man who was completely taken captive by the enemy. But whom, but whom God said, you know what? No, this one is mine. This one is mine. And I am going to I am going to ransom everything to get him back. And guess what? He will do that for every single person that is listening today. If you do not know Christ, he will, you know, he will, he will step in and he'll go, "Uh, no, no, I don't, you know, I'm not so much interested in the issues of your life. I'm interested in your heart.
0: Yes. Right. It's a heart issue. It's always a heart issue. Right.
1: Do you have anything else that you would like to offer our audience?
0: I have created my own website. So the whole podcast and speaking and all that kind of stuff, this is all new for me. Uh, It's just kind of the door and the direction that the Lord had opened and, and shown me. So I have a bunch of podcasts. I have a couple articles that was written about me. I have a video of the window that I jumped out of. I have CBN, the 700 Club, came out and they did this stellar six-minute video. It actually took six hours to make the video. It was like three hours of testimony and three hours of working out. So there was a lot of work that was put into the six minutes, but it's a very, very powerful video. If you go to my website, robdeckerspeaks.com, you can click on anything that uh, I've been a part of. Uh, Right now, it's very young. There's a lot of podcasts on there. Like I said, there's the the articles I got a couple of those. The videos, but it also has my Facebook and my Instagram, and I'm always posting about nutrition. I'm am a fitness trainer. That's that's my my day job. I'm a fitness trainer. Um, I try to to make a positive in, impact on people, not only with my faith, but with my my knowledge of of health, nutrition, and fitness. You know, I, I believe that overall, we should take care of ourselves. I God gave me my body back. I'm very grateful for this body. I only have one, so I do my best to take care of it. And, and I share that through my social media and, and my webpage. So it's just a place that you guys can go and, and check everything out. And eventually I want to lead on to other things, but, but right now that's what it is. And uh, hopefully I'll have some more speaking arrangements. I know that I'm supposed to be doing celebrate recovery here within the next month. My buddy runs it in Los Angeles. And so going to go speak to a bunch of folks that have been sober, they're struggling to stay sober and and share a lot of what I shared with you today. So robdeckerspeaks.com. You can always get a hold of me through that site as well. There's a place where you can ask me questions. I'll pray for you, share thoughts. Uh, yeah, whatever.
1: Thank you so much for being a voice that God is able.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I believe that it is my responsibility to take my experiences, um, after leaving, leading such a, a, selfish life. I was very selfish my whole life. Uh, still struggle with it in some areas sometimes, <laughs> but I just want to give back. I want to be a light for the kingdom. I want people to understand that God's love is real. Uh, a lot of people still show up to church and they don't get that message, right? He's real. These are real things that we've been through, you know, as, as his children, the, the, the false accusations, the suicide attempts, the drug addiction, you know, uh, I, I was actually molested when I was younger as well. Like, so it, it's all these things. I know that I can touch a lot of people with this story and it's, it's, it's his goodness. It's all his goodness. Really bad things happen to, to people. Um, that's just the world we live in. No, I hold nothing against the Lord. You know, I know that everything bad that he that has ever come upon me has been turned around for his glory. And I know that and I'm with that. And if I struggle in the future, or that's fine. You know what? Because he'll be there. Uh, there's lessons to be learned. He will be glorified in all of it.